to Mastering Retention, presented by UserWise. Welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention. Today, I have a really special guest, uh, Alessia, and, and we're going to have a lot of fun talking about all, all sorts of things. Uh, I know a lot of the guests that we have on tend to be, you know, more into the game design, product managers, uh, different things like that, which we do have a little bit, but Alessia has actually spent the last few years founding her own studio and most recently kind of as a, a product owner at Next Game. So really excited to get to spend an episode being maybe a little bit more high level than we typically are. But I think uh, a lot of these sort of product business type related decisions are really important for everyone that's working on a game and designing new features and things should, should definitely be aware of. But also, uh, I think there's a secret that most people in gaming don't uh, say out loud too, <laughs> too loudly, at least, is that, uh, you know, everyone kind of wants or has this dream of going and starting their own game studio and uh, getting the total vision and, and creativity over making their own games and stuff. And so we'll get to dwell a little bit into that today, too, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. But uh, before we do that, Alessia, I always like to ask, what's your story? How did you get here? How did you get into games? Uh, hi, we're happy to be here. And like, well, my story is kind of it might take a while because I, I, I think it's a bit kind it's of... It's okay. We, we, we've got our <laughs> listeners trapped right now. They can't get away. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny kind of to say that it's better to find your passion later than never. And for me, it kind of happens quite late. But I didn't really like growing up and going into university and into my first jobs. I didn't really know what I want to do. I, I couldn't find a passion for anything. And uh, my husband, uh, like I, I met my husband when I was 18. So we've been together for like over half of our lives. And he's a serial entrepreneur. So I kind of ended up working, just carrying my computer to his first startup and started doing like assisting jobs and like doing whatever. I was welding and smoldering and packing and like doing whatever <laughs> I could, but wasn't too technical when I started. So I kind of liked the startup and technical stuff, but... I ended up doing a lot of secretarial stuff, just office stuff, and uh, my education of philo Master of Philosophy in university didn't really carry me. I, I wasn't interested in world stuff. At, at 2005, I purely accidentally ended up working at Digital Chocolate, and that's uh, one of the uh, kind of bigger gaming studios at that time. So Sumia was one of the first mobile game studios, and uh, they were acquired by Digital Chocolate. And when I joined the company, it had like 50 people. And while my time there, we grew to 180, I think. So it was pretty exciting time to be. So I was uh, HR assistant and I talked to all the people who came in and uh, that's kind of how my love with games started but I first fell in love with people making games all those people who came in and they were so excited they were like oh my god somebody's actually paying me to do this I would do it for free it's just like this is my life <laughs> and I felt that wow, these people are super passionate. And I finally kind of felt that this is a group of people with whom I like kind of, I fit. But this is my kind of crazy people that are like passionate and energetic and a bit crazy. They're never going to grow up. It's like, this is the environment. <laughs> this is the people with whom I want to work with. <laughs> so then I started, okay, 
gosh, so I want to be in games. So how do I get from this uh, assisting position to actually making games? Because I felt like I'm on the outside. All these people are doing this awesome, fun things, making games, being creative, like in a team. And I'm not outside, outside. I'm just facilitating and looking from outside how people are having fun. So how do I get in, inside to actually get to be part of the fun? And uh, it, it didn't happen, happen inside Digital Chocolate. And uh, it took me kind of, I, I got pregnant, got a couple of kids, sat home with them. During, when I was home, Rovio was growing, Supercell was growing, all the companies were growing. I was just sitting at home with my kids and, oh my God, I'm still missing out on everything. But when I got out of uh, home and my kids were <laughs> old enough that I got out. <laughs> so I started, okay, I need to get in into the gaming industry because I, I can't imagine doing anything else. And um, so I, I got like my husband, he, he's a serial entrepreneur, as I mentioned, and he knows a lot of investors. And one of his investors just invested in a small uh, studio in Turku. And uh, I kind of went to talk to the team and just told that I like the idea of what we were doing. So it was like the Stardall founders. The Stardall was this web-based uh, dress-up girl heaven whatever like dressing uh women into different clothes with guys and everything they wanted to like they sold it to sweden but now they wanted to do it again on mobile because they kind of felt that it's still there's still big opportunities and i believe what we're doing are kind of like liked the team and said that hey guys i know you kind of i come from this background i don't have a lot to show but i have a lot like a lot of ideas just like let me join i'll work for free and if we see that i'm actually valuable then let's see what happens so I worked half a year for free with the team and the second half of the year, they actually started paying me. So I guess they found me valuable. Yeah, I guess they were. <laughs> yeah, at the end, I was uh, pretty much doing interim CEO stuff, uh, running the production and the product and pitching to investors and stuff like that. So I got kind of um, a bit of experience there. Uh, but unfortunately, Appstar didn't go forward. So we ran out of money, the, also the founders started a bit kind of fighting each other and it just kind of it didn't like it, it just ended and I was okay yeah. I got my first kind of taste of what it is to be on an insider making games and I realized that yes it's exactly what I want to do so how do I like go from here to actually like doing it again I kind of felt that it's like it, Finland is it's pretty competitive to actually get into gaming industry because there's a lot of specialist people needed. And I didn't have any kind of specialization. I'm not a game designer, I'm not a programmer, no art. I had some experience now with production, uh, but still that I felt that that wouldn't be enough to actually land a job. And, um, and my husband then said like, well, you believed what we are doing in the app star and uh, why don't you start your own company? And I was like, well, how come me? I don't have enough experience. But he just said, just, just go for it and see if it happens. And uh, that's like, so I started thinking, I started like, what if I could actually make it happen? And uh, I did a pitch deck. I started pitching it to people. And I started kind of, I didn't have a lot of connections in the industry. So I just went to LinkedIn. I was going through all the profiles, contacting people. I got a designer interested to join me. That was like the first step. Then I totally randomly found a couple of artists who were like happy to join. I was just like out of the blue contacting people on LinkedIn and actually like a percentage of replies and how I found my co-founders was pretty good. And uh, with designer and artist, I actually like, 
like next, I um, I got the funding. I got kind of the first 100K pledged from kind of, uh, so I had a funding, but they said that you get it if you get a good tech team together. So you need to have a solid CTO that we believe in. So, and that was the hardest one. I remember like, like I had no freaking idea how do I even find a CTO? Like, what should I even look for? There's so many different profiles, but I just found like five different technical words that I had no freaking idea what it was. I put them into it and I got 12 profiles and I contacted all those 12 people and none of them were kind of were interested but they recommended two others and those two both were interested so I was like wow success and one of them I, I hired then like I got as my co-founder <laughs> Yeah, so that's how I kind of like, yeah, got, so the Polkadot was founded in uh, March 2017, I think, and there were like five co-founders and we started doing it and we had a good run for three years, but just before, pretty much at the COVID time, I think I was going to the last GDC in March when we still thought that we could go to GDC to do my last shot on raising funding or getting sold. But then everything got cancelled and everybody kind of, all the investors went into this turtle mode. But we don't know what's happening, but we are looking and we are not deciding anything. And uh, so yeah, at that time we, we closed down the company. But it's kind of like, that's what I'm kind of saying that if you do, if you found a company and you close it down, I don't kind of see it as a failure. It's, I think it's a more of a failure if you never even try, but yeah. I feel that I learned, it was like a supercharged learning for three years. I <laughs> learned both about the industry and most importantly, I learned a lot about myself as, as a person. So, and with bad kind of learnings i actually got a really nice job at next games i started as product owner and now i'm actually heading the new games business unit and that's pretty exciting so i'm just like pretty much every morning i wake up and i feel i'm doing exactly what i want to be doing i can't imagine doing anything else so i got there where i wanted i'm on the inside i'm making yeah, games you, a, a part there. of a team yes i made it so <laughs> That's a really, really insightful story. So you mentioned that you learned a lot uh, about yourself and about the games industry. Like, could you share some of the things that you learned? Yeah, sure. So maybe like my biggest learnings are probably about myself as, as a person. So a lot of time and me also, I have this type of, um, I think it's also a bit of a woman, uh, woman issue, but we have this issue of are we good enough? Are we ever good enough? And I think this kind of like running your own startup and being in charge of everything, it just gave me this type of confidence that, yes, I'm good enough. I'm definitely good enough. I can make it. And um, so I kind of like learned that, yes, I have the courage to start the company. It's because it takes a lot of courage and guts and determination to actually make it happen. But I actually have a vision and charisma to get people joining me and kind of leading them. And I also learned that I still, uh, it's kind of just that I love everything about games. It, it just so kind of during those three years, even when you are testing your own game for a thousandth time, you are playing through the tutorial, you are doing it over and over. It's still, I, I enjoy every second of it every part of the making of the game it's i just love it <laughs> so That's... those were kind of um the internal learnings about myself and uh it's kind of about the 
industry, I think kind of like what I, I learned, what we did wrong and what would I do differently going uh, if I ever found a new startup. I think kind of like, yeah, I was quite inexperienced when I started my company. There was a lot of things that I didn't even know that I don't know. So I, I see it as like you first need to understand what you don't know before you can start learning it. But if you are not even there, but you don't even know all the things that you don't know, it's a, it's a hard place to start. I had a long way to, to go at that point. And uh, it's just like, but like that experience just like adds it just makes things a bit easier if you have done it before if you have done games before if you've done at least one game you've released a game from beginning to and I, I didn't really have that had it, that experience yeah. and also kind of from this point and even kind of after one year running the company it's pretty much that it's in free-to-play mobile games it's super hard to make it if you don't have a full stack gaming company if you're missing the business analytics you're like like the analytics part if you don't kind of fully understand it if you don't understand the you have marketing it's if you're missing this crucial things you can't really make it happen big time in free to play with just concentrating on a game i believe like no matter how good a game you do if you don't understand the marketing side of it and what people actually want to play the themes with like whatever and the analytics to analyze what works what doesn't it's super hard to make it and um, maybe when the third is just like focus i think we were a bit all over the place on kind of we should have kept a better focus and better scope on our project we were like going too big too vast too everywhere and uh, it <laughs> yeah that's really good so here's a question you mentioned some of those like peripheral roles which i think a lot of people overlook if they aren't coming from gaming directly um, which i know a lot of people work in gaming first and then they come over to start their company which is great but for for people thinking about okay i want to start a gaming company like what would you say like the co-founding team should ideally look like for let's say our, our new company we're starting and you know what are the minimum like roles that we need to have to be able to kind of build effectively and, and scale a game up um, is it like a team of 10 and, and what does that look like or you know what would your ideal you know team be one of the things that i also learned is that if like preferably if starting a startup it would be good but if each founder could uh, wear multiple hats so that uh, everybody kind of has at least two or three hats i think i was like the producer the like the, the ceo the fundraiser and the qa so both were my hats and uh, i yeah so i kind of like um trying to get people who are interested in more than just what they do if like a programmer is pretty passionate about like analytics and is interested and kind of wants to elaborate and thinks that's important that's a, a, a really good thing so that you kind of that you don't need to have a team of 10 people but rather you can have a, a team of three to five people but who cover enough of like level at the beginning level all the important parts of the game development de development also the analytics the ua the marketing stuff so that you don't need to be perfect at it but you need to be kind of have the interest to to learn and tackle that also besides your normal day job kind of of being artist or designer or whatever so i don't know if i have kind of a perfect setup it depends so much on the people and uh, 
just kind of making sure that the team between yourself, you have all the hats covered, but somebody is ready to take that hat and put it on his head. Yeah, it's amazing how many hats you have to roll when you're, or wear when you're starting a company early. And then uh, then when you finally get that hire for marketing or something, and you're like, wow, they're doing it like a hundred times better than I was. But, you know, exactly. at least I sort of, at least I sort of figured out how to do it. <laughs> you know, it continues to, to grow from there. Uh, so it, it's super exciting. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, when you started your company, how did you pick your first game or, you know, what's your approach now for picking like what new game should we build? Because I think this is something that everyone, even at the established studios, uh, you know, how do I figure out what to build next? Because Mm. even building a prototype takes time, energy and effort away from maybe building something else that has a much higher chance of success. Where, Where would you say you would start? That's something that we just kind of didn't think on it to like enough than starting a company. So when I started Polkadot, my whole kind of vision and idea for the company was that there's like too many games created by guys for guys. So there's like plenty of those around, but actually good games that women would enjoy playing if they are not kind of match tree games or hidden object or this type of traditional casino and stuff. So there's not enough of like variety of experiences, of gaming experiences for women that would really kind of catch their attention. So like for me, excellent examples are like COVID fashion. They brought something very new and kind of like to the audience. And I don't think guys could have done it by themselves. I feel that kind of that that's kind of game and app, it can become a part of, of your daily life and it actually enhances your daily life. It's not just a pastime, but you actually learn something. You 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 get something for your real life out of it. You get to know the, the fashion and everything. So that I, I kind of was very inspired by COVID fashion and uh at the same time, it was very competitive, very hardcore game. And I felt that it would be nice to kind of bring it to to wider audience. And uh, our original kind of idea was to build something between COVID fashion and Kim Kardashian. That's just like uh, the original. And then we started figuring it out. And um, through, I don't even remember what type of hoops we ran through, but it ended up that we started making this type of a, COVID fashion type of core loop experience of dress up with real clothes, but the setting was like Instagram. So we wanted to make it like a social media. And uh, that's what kind of, um, it's just kind of, we, we knew what we were building. We knew that we were making a dress up game. It was just about what is the setting? How do we build it? And, and kind of like, we really liked that social aspect of how do you make it more social? And, um, and it ended up being kind of an, an Instagram made into a free-to-play game. So everything looked, you had your feed, you had your friends, the feed was like, so you could see the people you follow. It was had like instant when you posted something, if somebody liked it or followed you, you got instant notification about it. You could see the person like went back. I saw the same behaviors in our game as I saw like on Instagram and Facebook. And I have to say that that's like something that was very, very unique about our game, but it actually felt like being on social media. And there was no science or no process or to our approach how to make a a first game. I think that like pure by accident, we actually ended up creating something pretty unique and amazing. But like we also did some kind of bigger mistakes in the game. Like in hindsight, I feel that 
and none of us was enough of a passionate and competitive this type of uh, covert fashion player who understood the motivations and why people play and why do they pay so the kind of like we took too much of a competitiveness away by making it social and uh, so our game had good engagement retention it was really easy to market but we like started thinking about monetization too late and then it didn't work and that made it really hard to kind of we had a lot of publishers and a lot of people interested in the game because it had something very unique and it had like great retention numbers but that kind of lack of monetization and our like kind of like the, the balancing of it how we didn't do it properly it's kind of like I think what really in hindsight is like what we really kind of accidentally hit it right that it was super cheap and easy to market the game it like on instagram the game looked like an instagram it was like cheaper really really cheap and easy <laughs> i like even with my skills i just put the ad out and yet yes perfect flick to rates all was good super cheap we're like oh wow it's uh, it's amazing when we started doing our second game and we were oh my god this cost like six euros for one player what are we doing wrong and uh, we realized that oh we got really lucky with our first game and uh, we really needed to kind of look for how can we actually like even test market this game so it's not too expensive and i think that's the kind of the learning that i believe that you can't really or you can but why would you build a game before you kind of test if a fantasy around what you are building the theme of the game if it's actually interesting to the people to the audience if they actually want to click on it and you can't know that so the whole approach of like before you even like prototype anything like you can always test but does this fantasy does this premise what you're selling beat a like a dress-up game that is like on like an Instagram or a merge game or an RPG. What is the setting? What is the fantasy that you are building? And is that fantasy something that is interesting? How competitive is that fantasy? So that you kind of have an understanding what type of game you are building. And mm. then kind of making sure that your game then fulfills that fantasy. Then you have found a good one. And uh, that's what we are kind of also uh, currently at Next Game experimenting with and kind of like finding that fantasy and also finding what IP fits that fantasy and actually enhances that fantasy, brings something like into it. And then making sure that the game we build around that really kind of like delivers on that fantasy. Okay, believe it or not, I, I just learned this, but like kids know, like when I was growing up, it was all about being a rock star, or movie star. But now like people want to grow up to be like a an influencer on YouTube yeah, YouTuber. Or, uh, yep. or like influencer <laughs> on Instagram. And I'm like, what are you guys talking about? But you know, apparently that's like the popular thing now is like, where's the rock stars going? You know, let's say you pick that. Um, okay. I want to be a YouTuber or something like that. Um, do you then try to put together some sort of ad or creative or basically like, you know, become a YouTube influencer or something like that. And then gauge to see like how many people are actually engaging with this. What would a CPI look like? You know, that type of a thing to figure out, okay, this was strictly a marketing perspective. We haven't written a single line of code. Once we have an idea that something is going to work, then maybe we pursue it further, whether it's getting an IP or building something from scratch or 
this, that, or the other kind of thing? Yeah, pretty much. So, of course, you kind of, I don't think that there's like point of just testing different fantasy if, if you don't <laughs> have a game idea for that fantasy. So, sure, be sure. that you start with an interesting genre that you are going into, and then you're figuring out, okay, so I see this opportunity, or it was like this niche or genre that is like growing or interesting. This is the type of game I want to build. If you want to build a strategy RPG, that's also valid, or you see some kind of emerges now uh, upcoming or mastery or whatever. So kind of having fantasy and the game idea, but fit that fantasy, but you kind of, you are not kind of just selling the, the fantasy. So you know that I can actually build a game around this fantasy if needed. <laughs> and yeah. then just, just, yeah, testing it. Be it like on uh, just running Facebook ads, using Geek Lab. Like I think there's like Storm Maven, there's with services, with, so they do you a, a, a fake app store pages. So the only thing that you need is a, a still add of the game with kind of a mechanics, a, a bit of like, what is the game about? Is it a match three merch or mm. RPG or whatever? And the fantasy, the setting, what is the player aspiration that they are going to be? Is it to becoming the best chef in the world or collecting all these awesome characters or being the most mm. stylish person in the world? whatever is the fantasy and then kind of an inkling of what is the game about because like does that fantasy then resonate with the gameplay because if you are selling a fantasy but then kind of uh, the gameplay doesn't deliver that they don't fit that's not going to work so creating that ad that tells the fantasy and the main core game like core mechanic what is it going to be about and just like three or four store pay like this uh screenshots to for the yeah. fake app store and that's it that's it super super interesting making me think of you know like how powerful an ip could be like you know walking mm -hmm. dead and everyone yeah. that, you know watches <laughs> walking dead you know probably curious it was like well what would it be like to be in that situation or you know game of thrones conquest you know every yeah. game of thrones fan probably wants to know what would it be like if i had my own dragon what would it be like exactly. if i lived in westeros yes controlled yes. armies and i yeah. had my own liege lord well you get to do all those things in game of thrones conquest so um yeah super yeah. interesting yeah. and that's what i think like the strength of the ip is that they kind of enhance the fantasy they make it kind of understandable and also more desirable they make it familiar and you can't Kind of you you know that okay this fantasy race your dragon but this is the targaryen dragons so i know what i'm gonna do with my dragons it's not like any dragon if it's like in westeros i i have this all image so i don't need a lot i just need kind of something that and then i know it. it the world is there the whole lore and you don't need to kind of build it so much in the game you just need to support it and make it feel right but the people like players will have a whole world already in their heads and, yeah. and that's what I, I think kind of next has really done well with no man's land I, I love that game it's kind of like i when i when i joined next games when i kind of heard that yes i'm accepted and everything i had like a month before i started so i started watching all the walking dead seasons from the beginning but i think it took me two months to go through all the seasons but because and at the same time i was playing the game again i had played it like three years before but i started from beginning and played it again and i was playing and watching at the same time and just the connection of how the, the gameplay how the battles are done how they so well resonate with how the walkers behave and how you actually hunt them and how the battles go and the whole feeling of it i was like amazed this is yeah, it's like it was a perfect companion experience of watching the show and playing the game. It was like match made in heaven. Yeah. Or, or Pokemon Go, you know, exactly. If you've ever played the Pokemon game, yes. 
you're, you're wandering around the world looking for the Pokemon. Yeah. And, oh, now I get to do this in exactly. real life. Like, that's great. Yeah. And then at the same time, you can do that very wrong, you know, with yes. the Harry Potter IP where it didn't feel like the Harry Potter yeah. world necessarily. Um, so interesting to, to think on. Yeah, what I've always kind of, um, I feel like uh, it's one of a part where like, gaming especially free-to-play gaming is so interesting it's 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 just so complex so many parts even if you get the fantasy right even if you get the ip whatever kind of how do you match it all together into that like seamless experience that's like it's not science it's magic and uh, it's i feel it's magic because you need a bit of like luck and magic into it you need a lot of science and understanding and experience but that last touch it takes some a bit of magic and kind of like it's so complex complex and it's so changing but you are never going to be perfect at it you can never sit but i'm going to build a hit game or i'm going to build a game that people will love you can only aspire to build it you can do your best and hope that the magic will happen and the kind of i i also strongly believe that the the people the team making the games both like finding that perfect combination and that's how the magic actually happens that you find that perfect team that fits and they elevate each other and they elevate their ideas and everything and uh, they make the magic yeah even if you do have the the best game ideas too i've seen this done because i've had lots of game ideas too Uh, once you make them they might be very fun in your head and very not fun (laughs) as a prototype or beyond um so it's it's interesting how how all the things kind of kind of come together but yeah so you know let's say we've figured out a fantasy that works figured out a rough gameplay um, kind of progressing on what is the next step uh, you know towards having this uh, ideally globally launched game that is scalable <laughs> profitable etc you know our dream goal for everyone do you use services like playtest cloud is it a lot of like playing the game internally with friends and family you go straight to soft launch or like what's the what's the right step i don't have a, a right answer because i've never done it properly i was like <laughs> I, I still haven't done it we, we did a couple of wrongs kind of in polkadot studio and i'm just like at the very beginnings on at next games but how i see it currently also I don't believe that there's one process that will kind of fit every game. Building a casual game is very different from building a strategy RPG game. Any mid-core game has like so many systems and everything. So you can't kind of figure out one way to make all the games. Uh, I just kind of believe in testing and validating and figuring out for our game project, for our game, what are the validation steps? how can we validate and test our things as soon as possible so maybe if it's a very kind of a casual game you can start with the dclab tests or the ptc survey tests so like in surveys you can just like explain the game you don't even need any pictures you can already kind of uh, figure out between different premises that what could work different settings so ptc i i love that service and uh, making kind of like yeah sure internal prototype it it also depends if you're innovating on for example if you're doing a like a mid-core rpg game but you have some kind of uh, different core mechanic but something that you can prototype and then it's like internal prototyping because you will see like does it actually work but you envision 
it as a fun mechanic? Does it work? Does it feel good to play it 10 times, 100 times, a thousand times? And kind of does it feel, do I have something that is actually going to elevate and be fun? So that type of core mechanic testing, yes. And also, of course, giving the prototype into the hands of your friends, your colleagues, because we also, as developers, we know a bit what is fun. We play a lot, so we have a good understanding. Uh, but then if you're making kind of... Um, a more casual game, maybe a combination of you are not like purely innovating. You are not delivering on a new match three experience or you are not like kind of, but you are more like a combination of different theme and setting and kind of like small tweaks, how things are presented. So like everything that you are doing is already working somewhere, but you are seeing if combining it a bit differently, if it can work. Then that I think kind of, of course, getting that right, it's a bit more complex, but I think you need a kind of a day one prototype that is kind of the whole core loop, the main interactions are there. And then you try to put it out and test it and like first to play test cloud to see kind of do people actually understand it. And uh, also just putting it out and uh, getting buying some players and uh, seeing how they actually interact with it and as soon as possible. Just trying to test it as yeah. as early as possible. And I, I think that you need to, you always, whatever you do, you need to put it out and let other people interact it when you are still embarrassed about it. It needs to be so crappy that you're actually embarrassed about it. But it's like, because that's, I think that there's like, as this balancing of as game makers, we are very passionate people. We are passionate about quality. We want to make great games and we hate to release or give to anybody something that we don't feel is there is still one more thing that I need to tweak to make it better and so it's like making that making that cut but we are putting it out now you need to be embarrassed very ashamed of it at that point if you're not embarrassed <laughs> and ashamed and, and ashamed you put it out too late you spend too much time on it because we can't guess what will work or not we can have our best guesses but we should test it as early as possible I try to take I, that approach too it also kills me with like everything I'm like it is. Uh. <laughs> I know, I know. It's super hard for, for, for the team. But that's why I, I kind of feel that like when you are building games from scratch and that kind of like to have a certain, it's very different mindset and uh, how you approach it if you're building something new from scratch compared to when you are running a live game or kind of because it's everything is already kind of set. You have the basic premises, there's the basic kind of rules in the game. And then you are improving, you get the data and kind of stuff. But when you're starting from scratch, there's so many unknowns. It's like the world of unknowns. And then you try to kind of like uh, figure out those unknowns and, and you need for a long time not to fix those unknowns too strictly not to fix yeah. okay let's take this this and this and go forward but you need to keep them kind of open all the balls in the air and try to figure out the best combination what could work what couldn't without falling in love in anything or fixating on anything and just starting the steamroller of yes this is the game that we are going to release <laughs> but it's mentally hard to be in that situation oh. when you are keeping your mind open and not fixing because it's so much easier when you can, okay, this is the game that we are building. Let's <laughs> do it. That's the fun part. 
Yeah, it, it, you know, everyone wants to have the video that you show to people and blows their mind and they share it mm-hmm. with everyone. It goes viral and stuff. But you know what actually I found makes things easier when I'm working on like a new product or game or whatnot? Like, I feel like the earlier in the process that you can start it, like you show them something that is just terrible. But then, you know, like a few months later or so, you know, you develop these friendships, relationships, you show them, you know, the next version of it. And it is so much better that they're like, whoa how did you do so much and so little, like what I saw before to what I see. And you do that again and again and again, and you get towards the end of it. And they're just like blown away by, you know, how much your team is accomplishing and how much you're Mm -hmm. doing. And like, you know, the details that are getting added and all those things. And I tell you what, it feels a whole lot better when I'm showing them the second time and they're blown away by it, even though like, I'm still maybe ashamed. Then, you know, I wait four iterations and I show them the game the first time and I'm still ashamed of it, you know, Mm -hmm. still ashamed. But, you know, they're, they're going to have a different reaction than if you show them a few other iterations going up to it, too. So I think uh, getting away from the, the fear of showing things, I, I think definitely helps. Yeah. That's, that's what indies on, you know, Steam and stuff, I think they do well. They, you know, just update their, their fan base on different things like that. And I think it makes it a little bit easier and also gears up excitement. And, you know, every new fan that you gain, you know, at each iteration, they can also go back and maybe see some of those older ones and see just how far this game is coming and, you know, start gearing up some true excitement for it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Alicia, I know we're almost out of time here, but I do have one more question for you, of course, the unofficial question, which is, you know, what's one tip or trick you found over the years uh, to help improve uh, player retention or, you know, engagement, really? Are there any ways that you found to keep players around and more engaged in your game for longer? I think I'll just steal my game designer's learning that he brought when he joined my team. And that like the, the best thing that helped their attention was just changing the UA message, like changing the fantasy. That's kind of like if you are getting wrong users to your game, like if you're selling a fantasy of whatever, kind of a, a very active uh, slash and like gameplay, and then you are it's it's a something that is more static then the retention is not going to be good so kind of making sure that what you are selling to the players what like why they click on the game that you actually deliver on it the whole kind of funnel from the ad to click to the store page to the game actually delivering on that during the first like the tutorial that like uh, thinking of the funnel and like every step of it that I think will improve the early retention the best. I, I totally agree. Which one, it still blows my mind that the fake ads work for homescapes and gardenscapes. Yeah, because yeah. I, I've actually seen it backfire with my wife downloading it and getting so pissed off with Playrics that she refuses to touch any of their yeah, stuff. Yeah. So I'm fascinated with that. But two, yeah, I, I've said that a lot. I'm like, okay, if you were advertising for like a regular day product that's not in a game and you buy the product and it doesn't work the way that it was like advertised <laughs> yeah. for, well, of course you're going to quit. And be, but like a person, well, first off, not many people will click on a game anyways it's like one out of four if they haven't heard of it before so they'll click on it but not only did they click on it they it was interesting enough that they clicked on it they went into it they looked at the screenshots they read the description it was still interesting enough that they actually downloaded it and started playing it so like what was the big disconnect between what you showed them and what you delivered like if you can bring those closer and actually deliver on Mm -hmm. what you're promising yeah those players are probably much more likely to be engaged because how many other thousands of people saw it yeah yeah and uh, playrix actually added that gameplay into the game in the early stages on the first day so they added a game mode yeah (laughs) so to to deliver on the promise (laughs) 
And it must have worked because they did it. They have a, like a, a solid UA machine. So it must have been oh, yeah. profitable. So, and like how much more profitable it became after they actually added the, game, the feature <laughs> into the game. It's, uh, <laughs> Who knows? that's why I like, I really believe in starting with the, the, the fantasy and the marketing and kind of like making sure that you can actually interest people to click, to be interested in something that you're doing. Well, Alicia, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, if people do have any questions, is there a good way for them to get in contact with you? Yeah, sure. Link it in. That's, I think that's my personal email address and yes, just connect. I love to connect with people, especially gaming right. people whom I really love. So <laughs> Gaming people are pretty awesome. I love it. They are. They're cool. the most awesome people. They're never boring. That's, I think, the best. I've never, I've still haven't found boring game developers. So all of them are just That's good. fun. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. It was a pleasure.